Hey everyone, Ian here just before we get started. I wanted to take a moment to say thank you to all of the listeners who have made this episode possible. If it wasn't for the people that we have downloading and listening to this episode every single week, we probably would have stopped the podcast months ago. As an aside, between us recording our episode 100 live stream and us releasing it as a podcast, we have hit 4,000 all-time downloads for Under Common Taste, and that is a milestone that surprises and astonishes and baffles me. <laughs> the fact that we actually have people who really enjoy, I don't, I don't think that's really set in to me, but I wholeheartedly thank you for coming in and listening every week. I'm not going to keep you any longer. This is a long, long episode. Uh, we got a little bit carried away. If you want to experience an even longer version of this, you can find the uncut version up on our YouTube page. I'll find a link to that in the show notes. And so, without further ado, thank you again, and enjoy episode 100. Hello and welcome to episode 100 of Under Common Taste. Yay! Yay! <laughs> exactly. All right. I'm Ian Woodworth. I'm joined by my co-host James Daly. He's in the opposite corner. And we are joined by several of our friends from past episodes just to have a sort of chill, laid-back, hangout, Q&A sort of episode. So I'm going to go through... As I see you guys on my screen and ask you to introduce yourselves, we're going to start with Jack. All right. Hello, Jack Kellum at Jack Gogsbane on Twitter. Jack the Giant Killer. I am the proprietor and sole employee of, of Gods and Game Masters. I build worlds. I build monsters. I build villains. I drink coffee and I know things. He is also our most recent interview guest. Yes. All right. So next we're going to go with below me with Mike. Hello, uh, I'm Mike Daniel. I am the host of 19 Hits the Dragon, interview, discussion, tabletop RPG podcast. And uh, yeah, excited to be here for episode 100. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for showing up. All right, next we're going to go down the bottom in the middle with Rob. Yes. Hi, I am Rob Hilferty. I am one of the co-hosts of World Build With Us, a fantastical podcast where we take user prompts or user settings and then build those worlds collaboratively. Ian and James, congratulations on 100 episodes. You made it. This is where all of the money starts rolling in. Congratulations. <laughs> you're finally here. All of the tens oh, of you. dollars. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> <Can I tens? laughs> well, wait, you guys got paid. I'm, looking forward, to, yeah. I'm <laughs> looking forward to making fives. Yeah, single digits is what we're aiming for here, at least. Uh, I am making tax deductions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah we're, we're making tax write-offs. That's what we're making. 
But I, I know that you guys are making tens of dollars because I can see that information on your Patreon home screen. Woo-hoo. <laughs> who, who are you talking to, Ian? Surely not us. <laughs> Certainly you're not talking about the fabulous podcast World Build With Us. I'm sure that's not what you're talking about. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> and then last but not least, down in the other corner, we've got John. Hey, congratulations on 100. And uh, boy, that is a real accomplishment. So congratulations on that. That is a ton of work. So I'm from Tale of the Manticore, which is a bizarre semi-actual play, kind of half solo RPG, actual play, half audio drama. It's a bit of an odd duck, but um, I don't know. If you like old school stuff, give it a try and see if it hits the mark for you. And I have to say, I've really been enjoying the new season. Well, thank you very much. Thanks. All right. So before we get going into the questions, we have a couple of housekeeping things that we need to take care of uh, regarding our podcast. First up, we are going to be taking the month of September off. Um, We are currently recording an actual play that we're going to split up into the weeks that we're going to be off. So starting on August 31st and then the four Wednesdays in September, the game we are playing is the Tarask Task of Maureen Trask. It was a module written by DM Dave and released by Tabletop Audio as part of their Patreon Christmas thing in uh, 2019. And I'd been wanting to run it. I'd been planning to run it. And then this little thing (laughs) happened in early 2020 that kept people from gathering at my dinner table. So that could have been. I don't know, but it was inconvenient. Oh, wait, no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it hasn't stopped being (laughs) um so the players that we have for the game i'm running it james is playing in it our other players are dr mary kroll hannah miller who is the editor for 19 hits the dragon and eric holden who is half of the cast of goblin's corner which is another ttrpg advice podcast yes speaking of eric actually let's see if i can make this work he sent us a video message and let's see if I can make it actually play. Uh, maybe, maybe not. You did vet it first, so I this did. isn't gonna like break. Okay, just I did. I'm, I'm just um, really <laughs> there it nervous goes. for your TOS here on Twitch. All right? Yeah, <laughs> we all know how Eric can get. It's a halfling and a cake. It's gonna jump out. It's awesome. I, I was thinking like a Marilyn Monroe style, like happy birthday, but you know that's oh yeah, I mean, that would fine. work too. Maybe maybe yeah. sung by a half orc. See, is oh, now you're uh, now you're talking about language. (laughs) See, here, let's see if this is going to work. Maybe, hey guys, what's up? This is Eric from the Goblin's Corner. Uh, congratulations on your 100th episode. I can't wait to see what you guys do in the next 100 episodes. So, from me and Matt, congratulations. Hope you guys keep at it, keep banging away, keep doing what you're doing because it's great. See you guys later. All right, I'm hoping that that went through because even in troubleshooting i wasn't getting the audio from it but james was able to hear the audio so it is coming through i do see it on the stream so so i saw it i don't know what the audio did because i was listening to you guys right so if you didn't get the audio for that then you're going to have to listen on wednesday whenever i splice the audio (laughs) in that works But thank you. No, no, we really know what we're doing. After 100 episodes, we've got this all figured out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Masters of the craft here. Absolutely. <laughs> let me just let me take the opportunity to say good for you for branching out onto Twitch at all. It shows more courage than I am willing to give. <laughs> 
I stick with what I know. I'm on a podcast and that's really, that's it. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure that I'll join some TikTok or something later, but I'm an old man when it comes to this type of stuff. My co-hosts are going to be the ones that drag me kicking and screaming into social media. So we'll get there eventually, I'm sure. Well, I will say that TikTok has actually been pretty good for us in terms of bringing ears to the podcast. Hmm. We had a couple of our teaser shorts that did really well, specifically the one I think it's called Lich, Please. It was our episode on liches inspired by a write up that Jack did. And I guess it happened like the week before the finale of Stranger Things season four. And so Uh, by putting the hashtag Lich and hashtag Vecna hashtags on it, it just drew all the eyes. And so over the course of a week, we had one short that had more views and more likes than all the rest of our shorts combined. <laughs> nice. Oh, that is how that works sometimes. <laughs> right. right. And that yeah. Something, something. I, a uh, Vecna, something, something. Uh, see, I am also an old guy. I know I don't look it. I'm 48 though. And I've just tried to burn myself out a little, I guess, because I've got Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. YouTube is actually the first thing I did. And I've got world building streams over there and now a couple of actual plays for charity, which if you've been on the Twitter, you've seen that come by you. I'm sure they start out on that Lion Knight's channel. Anyway, point is I'm fighting my way through all this mess and I have not figured out Twitch yet, but as soon as I do, I'm going to be trying to to stream stuff over there too. Cause I'm just looking for that cross pollinization, you know, that, that getting the stuff back and forth and trying to advertise everywhere for free. (laughs) Jack, you might not look like an old guy, but when you refer to it as the Twitter, it really <laughs> shows your age. So, like, yeah, no, yeah. you got you at least got that going for you. <laughs> all, these, all these kids and their poker mans. Yeah, exactly. Why uh, are they going around poking man? I don't understand. Yes. And Back in my day, we kept our fingers to ourselves. No, no, you didn't. No, no, no. absolutely not. That's a lot. That's a bold I think line. it's best if we move on from yeah, this line okay. of conversation. All right. You're, you're not wrong. All right. So <laughs> back to our little bit of business. Um, <laughs> after we come back in October, we are going bi-weekly. Oh, great. We're going bi-weekly yes. starting in October. It's just the podcast is taking too much time. And so we don't have time to do the other things that we want to do with regards to the podcast, the content creation stuff. So by stretching it out to a bi-weekly release, we're hoping to have a little bit more time to work on write-ups, work on stuff, hopefully open up an itch store and start selling some stuff and actually provide more content for our Patreon because our Patreon has been kind of sparse the last few months. And then finally, the big news. We have a very special interview coming up November 11th. On November 11th, we are going to be hosting Greg Tito and Shelly Mazinoble from the Dragon Talk podcast. Nice. They're coming to promote their new book, Welcome to Dragon Talk, and we managed to get scheduled as one of the interviews, and we're super stoked about that. Very nice. Exciting. Congratulations. Well earned. Yeah. Almost exciting as Planescape confirmed fall 2023. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking forward to that. Planescape was one of my favorite settings. Absolutely. I'm interested to see how they're going to play with the fifth edition tendency away from alignment. 
because they've been consistently making alignment less and less important in fifth edition. But you really have to play into alignment in order to do Planescape because the outer planes are so intrinsically tied to alignment. You do, but Planescape was actually one of the first settings during that time which was flexible about it, where characters and creatures could end up in unexpected alignments and organize differently. You know, like the video game Planescape Torment, you're running around half the game with a lawful good succubus. Yeah, right. and I think part of that too is, like as we discussed through the thing, the denizens and the creatures that are going to wind up being in these planes are there because they naturally have or they've wound up through their lives having this alignment versus everything of a species or a class or a race has an alignment. These are choices that have been made over the creature's lifetime previous or whatever that have brought them there versus they were being born into it. So if you take it from that aspect, they have worked their way or they've made their choices versus being something they have no control over. Yeah, even when you're dealing with devils, yeah, right back to the beginning of it, that becomes obvious. The majority of demons in most of the lore are there because at one point they were a horrifically sinful mortal and got translated. You know? right. So yeah. All right, so question for the group here. Do any of you still use alignment in any of your games? Nope. Not typically. Mm, not really. Not so. Very, very yeah. rarely. Yeah. I mean, the last time I remember alignment being a big deal was like old Neverwinter and Baldur's Gate. And the types of spells you would use would either cost more or you couldn't cast them. But as far as like actually at the table, alignment's almost never used except for roleplay. Yeah. We put an alignment on the sheet. And from my perspective, it's purely descriptive. It's like a shorthand for Mm -hmm. part of your personality. I don't care if you stray from it. I'll tell you later, hey, you're actually this and that's fine. Yeah. And that's how we determine, you know, if you're going to detect as evil or good or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, Of course, in fifth ed, you're only going to detect as evil if you're actually a a straight up celestial or fiend or undead. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. I like the concept of alignment when it comes to planar creatures, like mm-hmm. kind of exploring and explaining like these uber concepts of law or chaos or good or mm-hmm. evil. But when you apply it to a mortal who is like not made of living embodiment of that thing, it completely starts to break apart. Like right. I'm a big believer that alignment is something you do, not something you are. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. You do chaotic things. You do lawful things. You are not chaotic because a chaotic person can still do a lawful act. And, you know, what are humans really good at? Yeah, right. Justifying our own actions, right? Like really good <laughs> at yeah, it, it is very, It is very Always. subjective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Yeah. And great point came up on the, our podcast recently where it's like altruism and stuff like that, right? Where it's like is a city good if you're sacrificing someone for the greater good? Like if you sacrifice a single person a year for the betterment of the city, kind of like a, those who walk away from Omelas type situation, is that good? Or where does that, I mean, it's, it's providing demonstrable good to the community at large, right? Like it's an altruistic act. But when it comes down to you're still taking a life, I mean, which which I'm pretty sure is an evil act somewhere. It's in one of the editions, I'm sure, right? So like that's something that I've always found really intriguing about alignment and how we kind of apply it to our games, which is why just fucking jettison it. Like get it, get it out of your games. It, like you want to roll into it, you want to like play into it. Like yeah, sure, use the planar beings. That's where like alignment is fun and interesting. You know, like force a chaotic person into a lawful kind of contract with a planar being 
that's cool. Especially when you think about the origins of the whole alignment system, going back to uh, both Paul Anderson and Michael Moorcock. Yes. With the law yeah. and chaos, neither of those extremes was ever good for humanity. Mm-hmm. It was only the balance that was acceptable, and that was what the fight was about. That's what the eternal champion protected Absolutely. was the balance. Lo- um, love some Elric. Love some Elric. Glad that he's getting some recognition here. Appreciate it. The real reason that alignment doesn't matter is because no matter what a player says their alignment is, they're going to be chaotic neutral. That's just how it goes. dedicated players but yeah well, like yeah, you gotta branch out and have some new groups because like i love it when a player really is like i'm gonna be lawful neutral and i'm going to be a dick about it but i'm going to be lawful <laughs> and neutral yeah. right or like try yeah. and a- adhere to those concepts and chaotic neutral is just like Oh boy, we that's a hornet's nest that I don't want to keep right now. Let me just put right. it that way. Yeah, especially if you, if you look at it and they're just sort of being random, which isn't really chaotic neutral. Chaotic neutral is consciously, mm. intentionally making the chaotic choice and choosing to balance good and evil. Right. So just being so for random, me, you now have no idea what you're going to end up as. Right. So for me, I always joke that, you know, my goal in life is neutral karma. So I'll do enough good things like community projects or helping people just so I have enough good karma to balance out that one day where I really feel like being a dick. You know, you have that bad day and you just want to kick puppies because they're in your way, damn it. I, I did enough good things to balance out that bad karma. That is my neutral karma. We're good. I deserve that day. <laughs> this sounds like an evil person trying to justify the evil that they do. I'm just, I, you know. I, I may- an evil person would not wear that hat. That's not they? true. Oh, I know some they? very <laughs> fabulous evil people. Evil can be gaudy. Yeah. Oh, that's some of my favorite evil, frankly. Like, really. Yeah. <laughs> that alignment is chaotic fabulous, I think. Oh, hold on. We're on to something here. That's something that we need to explore that's, more. Yeah, new alignment just dropped. But before <laughs> yeah, we explore that, I have to do the boilerplate disclaimer that we here at Undercommon Taste do not endorse the kicking of puppies. <laughs> now, please Thank continue. You. I, I really thought you were going to say we don't the endorse the use of alignment, which I'm also you know, okay we do not. with. Is that as, like, that's as bad as I'm going to lost oh yeah he, lost he's james. Uh, yeah, james has got some latency problems at the moment so hopefully he'll catch up or he'll just he, he might just at us for a little bit <laughs> one of the things about alignment for me is dnd is only one of like 30 games i play and like my favorite is GURPS. Oh, yeah. so half mm-hmm. the time i'm not in games that have anything yeah. like alignment so when i play dnd mm-hmm. we look at it and we do a little bit with it but i'm used to building characters in a deeper way, like here are all the things that motivate me and here are all the things that are my problems and they mechanically affect the game. Mm-hmm. So when my players who are used to that as well, go to D and D and they have only one thing on their sheet that's restricting them. They're like, man, this is easy uh, to kind of play off that. I found that a system like city of mist allows for a deeper exploration of a character's genuine feelings about who they are and what they want to be, because they're not just asking them like on an axis. It's like, how does it directly apply to you? And then, like I kind of said before, then you get the entanglements of the contradiction of being human into the character. And because it's baked into the sheet itself, it's an even better way of kind of introducing that messiness, which I think is just so brilliant when it comes to like role-playing games. GURPS is the same way. Like when you have honesty on your sheet and you absolutely cannot break a law, but you also have greediness Mm. 
you know, and the interaction between those two or That's any get very true. combination. Like I'm a pacifist, but I'm also a bully, you know, mm. really interesting interaction sometimes. So you're just browbeating people at that point, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it, nonviolent violence. <laughs> you're a gaslighter is what it is. You know, it and sounds like you're just like the worst person to be around in parties. That's what you are at that, yes. that point. Like, yeah. no, thank oh. you. <laughs> well, I mean, you're talking to the introvert about going to a party. I mean, <laughs> that's already a nope. <laughs> there's, there's pain kind of there. in the dark. Even my D and D game is the actual play I'm running is about half horror. So, yeah. Oh man, even when I try and go light in my games. I mean, my players are just like, yeah, we're going to kill a man now. Just like, I like, oh yeah, we're going to be playing teenage heroes. And it's like, we're just going to murder someone because we mm-hmm. want to. And I'm like, you were just doing charity and now you're murdering a man. Like, what did I say? Chaotic neutral. Yeah. Yeah. Even no, no, just evil. Just evil at that point. <laughs> I no chaos was covered in Lord of the Flies. Yeah. <laughs> ah, I mean, there needs to be a separation of civilization yeah. if that's what we want to talk about. But that I mean, book people was based on some seriously debunked research, by the way. I just need Thank to point you. That out. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Did not know that. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's not at all actually how kids react when uh, law is taken away. What happens is they establish a hierarchy very quickly, mostly in a communal manner, okay. according to the studies that have been done, and they settle down to a peaceful existence very quickly. I didn't even know that there was actual research involved in the story. So that's interesting. I just, it was yeah. one of those books I had to read freshman year. And it was just one of those like, and here's how chaos happens. <laughs> it turns out that a lot of psychology from the sixties and seventies, like the Stanford prison experiment, like a lot of that was just bullshit. And yeah. it's just mm-hmm. been rolled into our culture because it's something that we want to believe. We want to believe in the darkness and the humanity and stuff like that. But it's like, we're actually a little right. bit better than that, you know? Yeah. What they discovered with the Stanford prison experiment, to go right off of what Rob was saying, what they discovered with that actually is that entitled young white men who want to be in positions of power then abuse it. I get that. Have you you read Humankind, Jack? Because it sounds like you're a fan of Rutger Bregman. Uh, I have not. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna talk later off off the podcast, but like I'll I'll give you a good book rec. Actually, fuck it, good book recommendation. Go read Humankind. I actually don't think it's a fan. It's not like a ten out of ten book, but recontextualizing <laughs> some of those things are important and I think are good, and it's worth the read, even if you disagree with kind of like the larger statement he's trying to get at. Right, and and also you've got to think that sometimes the best thoughts can't be expressed properly by the person who had them. So he doesn't necessarily write a good book. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Woo! As far as book All recommendations. Right. Oh, you got James. You, you, I, th- I think you we dropped it back there. Yeah. Sorry, Maybe. James. Uh, we'll let that one go. It was, yeah, you, no, that's. Yeah, James, sorry. You've, you've got connectivity issues tonight. I'm sorry. You are having a serious hard time. That's yeah. bad. Feel for you. You got to go find the internet tower and start hand cranking it. You know, it's running, it's running <laughs> low. <laughs> I know what it is. Wake no, up the gerbils. He didn't get he yeah. didn't get vaccinated, so he doesn't have five G coming out of his ears. That's what happened. Give me this. Yeah, they won't give him the second shot because he had an allergic reaction to the first one. Second one. Oh wow, yeah. All right. I was joking. I didn't mean I to hit that. Like I know. Line. This is like, like, like. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, that's fine. Yeah, I got my third. So, well, Ian, are we still in like the first part where you're introducing like the episode? I feel like we're like we've just like there's not even rails at this point. Like even we're, Jack we're just so took far off away and, from them. and started going. Uh, Ian doesn't get to talk anymore tonight. Yeah. We're we're running the show. Yeah, no, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Oh, you came to under common taste for Ian. Get the fuck out. This is our <laughs> podcast now. This is the rising up of the guests. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, seriously, what do you what do you want yeah, to talk? So we did we did have some questions that were submitted by other listeners and friends of the show. So I've got a list of a few of them here that we can go through. We'll see how many of them we actually have time to get through. The first one is from Josh from Tabletop Journeys. Yes, with the evolution coming to D&D in the next few years, what is the change you most hope to see? Yeah, go ahead, Jack. Fixed challenge rating. Okay. Fixed challenge rating. Make it usable to the average person. A bunch of us may well know how to make it work because we've seen it and we can cobble it together. But challenge rating as it's written is absolutely arcane to the new player. And they cannot figure out what to throw against somebody. People are thinking, okay, I've got a party of four and they're fourth level, so I should be able to just pick any CR4 creature, right? No, not at all. It doesn't work that way. It's not even close. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. I mean, C- CR has always been like kind of uh, a nebulous thing to begin with. Mm-hmm. What might be stronger than just like fixing CR in like a numerical level is like putting more tools or more information to provide new dungeon masters with help in like crafting encounters that are more balanced. Like, yeah, no, I agree with that. When I say fix CR, I don't necessarily mean just give us a number that makes sense right. because it's not ever right. going to work that way perfectly. Exactly. Give more guidance on how CR interacts with players. Give more guidance on what it actually means. Mm. A deadly encounter, as I said, I believe on the episode I was with them on, isn't actually deadly. It just means it takes up a certain amount of your resources. That doesn't mean it's going to kill anybody. And it always depends on like the players and their builds. It's like there's so many variables that this is really like just yeah, I mean, it's it's the loosest of guidelines, and that's why I think, like, changing GM behavior and making it okay to be like, beef is HP. I'm, I'm a big fan of, like, rule of cool and, like, fudging that shit because, like, it's, I mean, at the end of the day, you're there to tell a really good story. And I think that, I think Justin Alexander talks about this in one of his articles. It's like, or maybe it's Seth. Uh, I, I can't remember. But anyway, like, uh, rule of cool, man if you roll double crits and like that villain is like actually five HP away from the kill after the crit, like just fucking kill him. Like that's such an epic way to go out. Because it is dumb as hell to do a double crit. Like you're saying, right. And have the guy have five hit points left. And the next guy comes along and hits him with a pin and he dies. I agree. So, so again, when it comes to challenge rating, I would really say that like, we need more robust options for new GMs and more robust tools for GMs. Because from my understanding, from my last read through from fifth edition GM guide, it's lacking, shall we say it's, I'm not going to say woefully lacking, but it does lack a lot of that stuff, which I think is part of the reason you see a lot of people reach out to YouTubers for particularly GMing, because it's a matter of like, it is not necessarily a science. It is really more of like, to me, GMing is the difference between like cooking and baking. 
baking you benefit from chemistry and like specific hard numbers cooking you just toss that shit in there a little bit of spice a little bit more you know like and, and mind you of course there's always <laughs> g- electrical g- gastronomy and all that nonsense but like on, on in general there's a little bit more gumbo you can add when it comes to cooking but yeah baking yeah. and war games are science yeah role-playing games are arts and crafts hell yeah, yeah. it is an art you have to have a talent for it but it's also a craft and you can hone your capabilities at it. So yeah. John, Mike, do you either of you have anything you want to add to this? This is tough. Cause I really don't play a lot of five E I waited until I could join like a live table to try it out. Cause I really wanted to give it a good shot. And I find that live games are usually a better experience, but I'll be honest, like I'm struggling have as much fun in a 5e game as i do in like an old school essentials game which i just find faster more narratively rich and just better so i don't know i guess in terms of what i would like to see maybe i'd love to see hasbro stop chasing like children's dollars because i do feel like that the game (laughs) is sort of pitched towards kids i mean like i started when i was a young kid so fair enough but for where I'm at right now, it's not kind of given me what I need. You know, I'm going to keep with it and hopefully uh, I can come around. But right now I'm just not loving the system. So I don't see it getting better for what I'm looking for. I kind of feel like I'm sticking with old school essentials for a while. Mm. Okay. Valid. Mike? Um, yeah. I mean, I think what has already been said so far, especially by Jack and Rob in regards to encounter development and tools for encounter development super crucial in a new version because that is pretty lacking in 5e as is i think if i were to add onto that from a gm's perspective options or tools for making exploration more interesting um i think it's something that definitely got ignored it is the uh the bastard child of the three pillars of D, basically so second and um, a half pillar yeah absolutely. yeah yeah <laughs> exactly and i when i say you know exploration i don't just mean like oh i want you know wilderness encounters and etc cetera, etc cetera. exploration happens everywhere in the city in the dungeon you know in the tavern everywhere and that just gets completely ignored in fifth edition and yeah i would like to see better options more emphasis on that pillar in what we get coming forward so Totally agree with that. The last thing I want to add to all this, I homebrew all my own stuff, but I really think you'd see a lot better play in some ways if they had more support for the high levels. Because in my mm, experience, that actually works better at the higher levels. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know why everybody seems to think the opposite because it confuses me based on how I've run it at my table. I've run 20th level games and everything was smooth. It was easy to balance. They could accomplish enormous things. Sure, they were killing, you know, hordes and hordes of bad guys, but they're supposed to. They're almost gods at mm-hmm. that point. Yeah. They just need more actual games and support for people who don't homebrew, which is just as valid. People who want to run a published campaign to 20th level should have that support. Mm-hmm. In such a way that it's not just a dungeon crawl all the way up to 20th level, like we saw yeah. with Dungeon of the Mad Mage, right? Like that right. took us to 20th level, but that it was not eh. really interesting once you got right those parts right like just sad because the original undermountain was interesting yeah i think they did a you know decent job with the uh rise of tiamat or the tyranny of dragons campaign i think that went to like 15th or 16th level which was decent didn't get all the way to 20th obviously uh unless you homebrew and kind of make things happen like you're talking about so like they almost got there and then they haven't really gone back to that 
field since then. So, yeah, I agree with you, Jack. So the thing that I would like to see going forward is more setting books. I don't Mm. want adventure modules. I don't want quest compendia. I want actual proper setting books. I want a book that tells me these are the locations in this area. These are the major NPCs you will meet in these cities. This is the flora and fauna that you will find between these locations. I want all of the information there so I could build my own quest and Mm. not have this linear Mm -hmm. thing that I have to follow. And if my players deviate from it, then I'm suddenly scrambling to try and figure out how to adapt everything that's, you know, coming later. If you're going to do that, you actually have an easier time making the whole thing yourself. Yeah. And the second edition Planescape books did an amazing job with that. Um, That's one of the things that I've really come to appreciate when we were doing all of our planar episodes is going through all of the second edition Planescape books, the Lieber, Melville, the book of bad guys, the book of good guys and the, <laughs> the planes of conflict. <laughs> it's butchered Latin. So it's, but because all of the major locations you have, who's running it, you have major players within it. You have the demographics for the area and then at the very end, you have the local chant, which is the local rumors. What is the big rumor that's going around right now? So that you have a seed that you can build your own quest line off of. But it's just a seed and it may be a red herring. You could have it come up and your players latch onto it and it turn into nothing. Or it could be something that ends up turning into a seven level adventuring arc. I totally agree that we don't have enough of that. and. It's one of the reasons my sort of subsetting of Marshcliff, which is supposed to be dropped into whatever, is taking so dang long. Is because I'm mapping every significant building, writing every ind- major NPC, and making sure they all have notes on how the PCs could be connected to them. You know, hooks so that people are invested in the setting. Because that should be a way, just like the second edition Planescape books, like you said, you should be able, they have so much information, there's ways to be directly involved. Yeah. Be right. part of that story. James, are you unlaggy enough to contribute? I don't know if I am. I mean, I might be for this moment. Yeah, okay. Well, it looks like it's working through. Yeah. So again, I kind of like what you guys are saying. Things with the challenge rating to fix. Definitely some more of the kind of more guidelines for the DMs, I think. And I understand how they went with 5th edition where they're trying to make it more interactive and more theater of the mind friendly. But there definitely needs to be more descriptions on mechanically how the game can and should run and i understand that the difference between you know again having something where people can grab onto and run with versus having some nuts and bolts but i think they went a little light on nuts and bolts in fifth edition yeah makes sense and and that was one of the snippets that i actually picked up because i watched watsi's premiere release or whatever it was yesterday and seeing chris perkins in there saying i want to fix the dmg (laughs) (laughs) I want to reassemble the DMG to make it useful for dungeon Mm. masters. That's exactly what I needed to hear. It's got references that you need, but they're hard to find and they're not coherent. Currently, the only real use for the DMG is just to look up magic items, right? Like, I I think that's all that anybody uses the fifth edition DMG for. I use the table for rough CR calculations on my homebrewed monitors. Mm. That's about it. That and the magic items. That's about it. Or whenever I need to look up what is the name tacked on to the beginning of this particular plane. 
Yeah. <laughs> if I find mm. that table on like page, was it 42 or whatever it is that has the list of all of the outer planes? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so this one comes from a back and forth I had with someone in the comments of one of our TikTok videos. What is your opinion on plot level entities? Beings that are so powerful that the players can't actually engage them in any sort of combat. Do you think that there are some entities on a scale that players literally should not be able to fight them? Or do you think that everything should be considered fair game? This is from a conversation with Caffeinated Coffee on TikTok. Let your players suffer. Yeah. (laughs) If they are foolish enough to go against the gods themselves without proper preparation, shall we say, then let them suffer. Let them really get the shit kicked out of them. You don't have to kill them. That's the great thing about dealing with this type of power level that is so beyond what they're capable of. I think that D&D especially engenders this kind of aversion to defeat and diversion to loss in general. Like I cannot tell you how many times it's been that I've seen like, oh, every adventuring party goes through and they win and they win and they win and they win. Where's the fucking stakes? You Mm -hmm. know, like you, they, you have to suffer a little bit, you know? So like introducing someone that is way more powerful is actually a great way. And if we're talking about, you know, like entities that probably shouldn't have stats Right. Or if you're playing in a rule set that you can just kill gods with a really lucky die roll, like I, maybe you want to be careful, but also it might be interesting to kind of uh, explore the implications of what a death of an entity that powerful might be. So you can kind of approach it in a couple of different ways. From my perspective, especially when they're starting out, there are absolutely things that are off the table. There are things that are going to be off the table all the way up to the top. From my perspective, I believe we talked about this a bit last time, actually. Actual gods are off the table until you cross that line into their territory yourself. Mortals can kill anything mortal, but there has to be a dividing line between them and the entities. Otherwise, you don't really have entities. You don't have gods. What you have at that point are just ever more powerful mortals. There's absolutely times when you should just raffle stomp your PCs, especially, as Rob pointed out, with the big entities, because even if you do kill them, that big entity can go, you're back. Have you learned your lesson? (laughs) (laughs) Or they can learn that there are things much worse than death. Yes. With these plot level entities is when the additions change. And that is one of those things where you talk about what's the effect of killing or defeating or doing something significant to one of these. We go from second to third to fourth to fifth when one of these things happen. It isn't something that any party should be able to walk up and slap the Mistress of Pain or to put Vecna in a bottle or anything like that because that literally changes everything about the game. Is that a bad thing? Is that something that we're worried about? I mean, to a point, I mean, it is so fundamental. I think it should be something that should be... Oh, no, oh, not yeah. yeah, yeah. No, this is yeah. the culmination of like a quest. This is a culmination yeah. of a campaign where you've, you know, found the MacGuffins that are going to like strip away the immortality or like break the domain of the god, you know, something like that. Like it's the epic conclusion. It's not something you do on a Friday. Like, yeah. Well, it's like, having to, throw the ring in, it's like yeah. having to throw the ring into Mount Doom because nobody could fight Sauron. Right. You know? Yeah. Exactly. It's the the same beast. Even there, we're just talking about BBEGs. We're not talking about full-fledged gods. Right. But even the BBEG at the end of the game should be nearly that unstoppable without 
real special preparation. That's the whole point of the campaign in many ways. Mm. Yeah. I do want to go back to something that Mike said, by the way, when you said that when you trifle with the gods or what have you, and it's not just about the physical pain that they might experience. Like I love Mm -hmm. the idea of trifling with the gods, messing around with forces that you shouldn't, and then being put under extreme duress, whether that be some kind of a magical enchantment, like some kind of a debt that you now owe, like something that requires something beyond just physical damage or pain or whatever. And it allows a perspective shift, not only from the the side of the PCs, right? Like the PCs now see the villains in a certain different way or the other entities in a different light, but now you get it from the other end. Now those NPCs that loved your heroes before, they look at you and you're like, oh, maybe we don't mess with the, the, now that they're marked with like Baphomet seal, like maybe we don't let them in the inn anymore. Something like that. Like allow that shift to happen. And that's way more interesting than just dying or losing a limb most <laughs> of the time. And that is super mythologically appropriate. You know, mytholo- yes. mythology and folklore. Yes. When the gods are mad at you, they don't usually just smite you. They curse you. They change you into something. They torment you. They send you mad so you kill your family. The gods have so much more ways to make your life hell Mm -hmm. than just whacking you with a big stick. Yeah, letting you live is like one of the worst things they can do. (laughs) And and Jack, they do this because they love you and they want to teach you a lesson. That's why they do. That's a pretty purely Christian conceit. I need to point out. The Greeks and the Norse did not believe their gods loved them. They believed, the Greeks believed the gods loved Ethiopia, interestingly enough. And that mostly their gods were impersonal forces that happened to act like people. They didn't expect morality from their gods because they were explanations of the forces that were making their lives difficult. Mm-hmm. Right. Phenom- natural phenomena. Absolutely. Yeah. I was mostly just channeling like preacher there a little bit, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I got you. So. I hear you. <laughs> yeah. No, I recognized where it was going, but I had to go. Mm. <laughs> okay. Let me have a little fun, Jack. Come on. <laughs> There'll be no fun on this podcast. None whatsoever. Oh, None allowed. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Speaking of Ian, what's the next conversation piece? What okay, you got ne- for us? Next conversation piece. This one comes from Kate from Of Mice and Men and Monsters. How do you make combat more narrative and immersive to the bigger story? I'll go That's first with question, my cheeky answer. Okay. Uh, stop playing D and D uh, <laughs> uh, and play a different play a different style of game. You're not um, entirely wrong. However, I'll help with the D. Yeah, yeah. You like it? Go on, go on. I'll, I'll stop being a. I'll stop being cheeky with my answer. Yeah, but, you're yeah. you're not wrong because D and D doesn't lend itself to narrative combat simply because it is abstract. It is built to be abstract from right. the very beginning. Hit points don't represent you actually getting hit and hurt. They represent this abstract ability to avoid getting hit and hurt, which is not well described in any of the editions. However, that being said. Once you accept that hit points don't mean physical damage until a certain point, probably around less than eight hit points remaining, whatever you are, then you describe near misses, bruises, scratches, man, that shot came close, etc., etc. as they dodge out of the way, as they get tired, as they lose the luck and karma that they've built up over the years. Because the idea that a... 20th level fighter is just somehow better able to endure being smacked in the chest with a great sword full strength 
yeah, no, that's not how that works. Right. <laughs> so accept that and narrate your combat appropriately. In addition, make sure your players narrate how they're doing their attacks. Make sure you narrate the effects of those attacks. If they can't see it in their mind, it might as well not have happened. You're just doing math. Right. Mm. I want to kind of piggyback off of that real quick because I think my it's a salient point. I want to ask all of you, what does one hit points worth of damage look like? It depends on which hit point it is. Yeah. Uh-huh. Ooh, that's that's a, a, a great, a great answer. A great answer. <laughs> does that yeah. last hit point. It could be a stab in the eye. Yeah. <laughs> or if it's, you know, like going from 200 to 199, that's yeah, like, yeah. nobody saw it. That's like the gnat flying into the corner of your eye when you're outside. Mm. It's, it's an annoyance, yeah, we, but it's not actually you painful. 200 to 199, right. you have a little less luck. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it was a really well aimed shot, but your great experience allowed you to avoid real damage. Yeah. I agree with you on that, Jack. I'm always a big fan of narrating damage as like being able to parry an attack or perhaps your armor absorbing some level of damage or something like that. Like those are great narrative moments. Damage doesn't always have to be like a stab in the gut. It doesn't always have to be like flesh wounds. It doesn't have to be mortal. It can be you dodge out of the way and take seven hit points. I know that doesn't grok a lot of the time with some people, but like if you narrate it correctly, if you say Mm. that your muscles scream as you just barely dodge out of the way of the attack, you're feeling the stress and fatigue in your body, you know, like you're getting tired, then yeah, you're wearing that very nebulous hit point pool down. This is exactly why in the newer, newest L5R game, they call it stamina. Mm-hmm. And yeah. in D20 Star Wars Revised, they had wounds and vigor. And vigor was always just the narrowly avoiding. And wounds was when you were actually hurt. It was very clearly yeah. demarcated. Yes. So we know, and that was a Wizards of the Coast production. So we know they know how to do this. They just don't want to. <laughs> right. It's a different fantasy. But, and that's okay. Right. And that's why you go play other games besides D&D. When you want a different experience, absolutely. Yeah. If you want the blow by blow exactly what happened, you want to see exactly where you hit, how it hit, how it was deflected, how you dodged it, and what all the effects were. And if you did get hit with a great sword, you're probably dead. GURPS. It actually has the most clear and accurate real world combat system I've seen, based on my knowledge of the martial arts. Hmm. Admittedly, I've never even touched GURPS. And that's not because I am like intimidated or like don't like it. I love the concept. I just know that my players are always intimidated when it comes to point by systems, even really simple ones. Like I I, I love building characters with point by, but it's not for everyone. And I get that. Yeah, absolutely agree. John, you've been a little quiet this last few minutes. I... <laughs> yeah, no, I've, the wheels are turning because I've totally struggled with the same issue before. And, you know, you once you sort of like understand, oh, hit points are abstract, and I get that. But then actually go and try and tell your players like, oh, you rolled a 20. Okay, you miss, but now that monster is a little bit tired. That's not going to be satisfying. So I find like where the rubber hits the road, people want to imagine that impact. And Mm so, um, like, when I'm describing damage that my characters take, and again, with the older editions, there's way fewer hit points, and I think this problem is much more manageable. Uh, It's when you're into, like, you know, 
many, many hit points with, uh, I guess, fifth edition would do that, where you start to really have this problem. But I might say, like, you know, you take a staggering blow or something like that. It doesn't mean, like, blood is shed or something like that, but maybe you're shoved into a wall, tripped onto your face, or, you know, somebody punches you with their free hand or something like that. So I usually, like, narrate some kind of impact, but it doesn't necessarily Mm. have to be, like, blood is drawn, bones are broken, that kind of thing. It could just be, like, a lesser blow. Actually, the question asked her was asked, like, how do you make it narratively important, right? Like, for the game. And immersive, yeah. And the story, yeah. So that's, yeah, so that makes me think of like things like wandering encounter tables. There's a lot of like missed opportunities, I think, with those things where, you know, people, oh, there's a wandering monster. Great. Uh, here's the table. I'm going to roll on it. Okay. Uh, four hobgoblins come in. Okay. Then you have the fight and then it's over. And it was just like, they're there, they're gone. But that's a wasted opportunity. Like there should be like, what were they doing there? Does that mean there are more of them and they're going to be more likely the next time you roll for wandering mm-hmm. encounters? I think that those random table rolls they can be really valuable story building keys. All you have to do is like follow them and just ask some questions like, why did this happen? Right? Oh, I've rolled some harpies. Oh, okay. There's harpies here. Okay. Well, that kind of changes the whole flavor of this area. So, you know, mm-hmm. that might really drive narrative. Yeah, I like that. That can be really helpful if you're good at flying by the seat of your pants. Absolutely. I'd also like to add that just because it's a random encounter doesn't mean that you're going to have to fight it either. If you you have high level PCs and you roll like a really low level snake, they wake up and it's wrapped up in one of their boots. You know, if you have low level PCs and they find a dragon, you don't see the dragon at all. You see the carnage that it left in its wake and like maybe a dragon scale if you're lucky, something like that. Or you see it flying over going to do something else entirely. Yeah, because then you're adding this intrigue and like this idea that like, oh, this it's a more immersive, more livable world as long as you ignore the numbers, you know, like it doesn't matter. You know, what matters is the immersion. What matters is the mythology that you're creating. And then the brilliant thing that comes with that is you can then those are hooks for players to fall into. And you just like John said, you just rolled some dice on a table and you you found it. But I do want to agree with Jack as well that it is for a specific type of GM who is very comfortable with like coming up with stuff on the fly. Uh, It's the DM that wants to be surprised along with the players, right? And that's not everybody. Some people, they want to know exactly what's coming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I will do quote unquote random encounters, but it's something that would have occurred to me at the time. I almost never actually roll on tables for like anything. I plan my encounters. Like it will be a random encounter from the point of view of the players, but I know why it's there. I know what it did. I know, I already know how it's connected to what's going on. Right. And I think that's the important thing to do is to go back to the actual question, as John was smart enough to do, <laughs> to make sure every combat is important to the story by crafting it so that it is, yeah. by specifically using the creatures that are there because they should be there. The yeah. creatures that are doing, okay, these hobgoblins are raiding because the angry yeah. dragon has driven them out of their territory into yours. Then If you don't fight them, you can find this out. If you leave one alive, you can find this out. And you get hooked into the next part of the story as you go on. Every encounter should be role-playing, even if it is a pure combat encounter. 
Yes, I agree. And going through talking about making things immersive, I really think that DM should encourage cowardice. Yeah. There should be times where your party, yeah. the best thing they can do is turn tail and run. And they can figure out why later, or maybe they weren't up to the task later, but they shouldn't be able to steamroll every encounter. Sometimes just GTFO is the best option. And that's yeah. a callback to what somebody said earlier. Like there's gotta be stakes. Yeah. A battle yeah. intrinsically means there's a chance for a fatality. And if there isn't, then what's going on? What are we doing here? One you know, the there's gotta be danger. Doing, if you're doing it smart, if you did the easy battle on purpose, then the purpose is to let the player show off for a change. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, that was or some attrition. Yeah. Right. But I'm right with you. For real combats, for the combats that want to feel like they have stakes, they have to really be in danger, which is why the fights I put together tend to be way above anybody's suggested CR or deadliness level, because I'm not going to have six fights a day. I'm going to have one, maybe two fights a day, both of them really putting you in danger because fights kill people. Yeah. I'm ex-military. I'm a martial artist. I have very hard time thinking of a fight as anything but an opportunity for everybody to die. So you're telling us <laughs> fighting is dangerous. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> you mean that the enemies aren't coming in with boffers? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no, not so much. Unless that's the game you're playing. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing is you have to make sure when we sit down at the table for the very first time that our players know that death is on the table yeah, or that we've all agreed this is lighthearted and fun. It might yeah. as well be buffers. We're playing a silly game. Death is not on the table. Right. You can only get bonked. I actually right. did that with a group of kids. Yeah. Quite a bit of fun. All right. So Eric from Goblin's Corner <laughs> asks, what is your personal color of flump and why? So for, Thanks, so for, uh, <laughs> for those of you who don't know what flumps are, flumps are these little floating psionic lawful good jellyfish-like creatures that live in the Underdark. Lawful good aberrations, the only yeah. ones. They're the only lawful good aberrations, and uh, they move by farting. <laughs> they're psionic, they're telepathic, and they communicate through emotion. And so they will change their color depending on what emotion they're feeling at the time. So I had to look it up because I never actually paid that close of attention to flumps. Pink is amusement, blue is sadness, Green is curiosity and red is anger. I mean, if you've seen Inside Out, they're all flumps. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. You know, I was going to say, now here's a man who knows his flumps, but I, I guess not. <laughs> My favorite color flump is translucent because they're translucent when they're dead. They so now we know which member of the panel is going to hell. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> if hell exists, I will walk into it gladly. Um, my personal favorite flumps are green just because, again, I have insatiable curiosity, so I can totally get that. And if they're curious, they're not likely going to be outright hostile for any reason. So I'm with James. Yeah. Yeah, I think mine would be primarily green. Every so often they would be tinged with like a light blue because I view boredom as being like very low key sadness because you're kind of yeah. sad because nothing's happening. And also occasionally little pops of red for frustration. I can see. Boredom is, I think, I know this is a tangent, but boredom is the place where some of the best inspiration comes from. Just chat going on a tangent. No way. Uh, I live on tangents. Sorry. (laughs) I'm just giving you a hard time. I mean, we're we're four questions in after an hour. Of course, we're (laughs) we're good on tangents. How many questions do we have? Well, we're not going to do all of them. There were 11. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, right. that's not happening. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> it's what so, happens when you get talkers in, in a Yeah, room I know, together. right? Right. Yeah. So as of right now, sorry, Mike and Rob, but I am skipping your questions for now. Go for it. Ooh. Uh, I, I might come back to yours. It, I mean, to be fair, mine is just like a, a humble brag, but let's move on. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it's a question coming from somebody who won the last Monster Madness. <laughs> who could that be? Uh, Daddy Platinum's favorite aspect. That's who it was. Yeah, of course, Ian. If you could, in, in the in post production, if you could add a crown right <laughs> here, or like even just a belt, I'd be okay with either of those things. The just question: Who won the last Monster Mash? And the answer is this guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, not quite. I'm actually. I was curious about the next Monster Mash, but again, we, we don't have to get into it. We'll we'll, yeah. we'll move on. Well, the short answer is we haven't figured that out yet. Mm. We're still working on that. In our copious spare time that we're going to get from going bi-weekly, we might actually figure that out before next March. You're a fool if you think you're going to spend that time wisely. Oh, I, I, I already know that I'm not. Right <laughs> we have ideas. That's good. All right. So, Rob, you're going to know this question, Asker. Uh, Uh-oh. Uh-oh. This is a question from Diploraptor. I'm aware. Have you I'm ever, familiar. Yes. We, we are both familiar with Diplomacy Raptor. Have you ever had a TPK and have you ever wanted or realized as it was happening that you were going to TPK a party for doing something dumb or reckless? <laughs> um, I'm going to start off on this one because I have had one TPK and it was entirely because the party <laughs> decided that they weren't going to act as a party that they weren't going to act as a cohesive unit, that they were just going to run off and uh, do whatever. It was a party of, see here, there was five of them, and they were all third-level PCs, D&D 5e, and I threw them up against a few Bullywugs. They're all, like, CR one half. I think I had, like, four or five Bullywugs in this encounter, and a Bullywug Croaker, which is a CR2, and then there was a Banderhob hiding up in one of the trees, waiting for the opportune moment to enter the fight. And Banderhob is like a CR5, I think. So the Bullywugs make their presence known. The fighter decides, I'm going to book it. And he takes off and leaves the rest of the party behind. Well, he ends his turn under the tree that the Banderhob is in. Nice. Because he didn't roll high enough perception to notice. And so yeah, that's something asking for it. And so the Banderhob, on his turn, slaps him with his tongue and slurps him up and swallows him. <laughs> and the fighter then spends the rest of the fight trying to get out because he can't deal enough damage from the inside because he's restrained. So he's attacking with disadvantage. Uh, so he can't actually deal enough damage from the inside of the Banderhob to make the Banderhob throw him up. Mm. And, and every turn he takes necrotic damage from being in there. And then the rest of the party, they're all, you know, trying to scatter and deal with the little bullywugs that are coming out. And so the Bullywood Croaker jumps into the middle and they have a twice a day ability where you make a wisdom save. And if you fail, you take a bunch of psychic damage. Well, I had mm. he jumped into the middle and he hit like all but one of them with the first one. And then on the subsequent round, nobody moved away from him and nobody attacked him. So I was like, fuck it, I'll do it again. <laughs> and I knocked three of them to zero. Yeah, I mean, that. yeah, that happens. <laughs> And, and that definitely happens. And I had one of my players, their first character had died very suddenly and very unintentionally in the first combat after session zero. And they weren't happy with their replacement character. So they were looking for 
a reason for me to work in them changing their character. I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. And this became <laughs> the opportunity because after they got all knocked out, I just had the Bullywugs take them back to camp with them, throw them in a cage because this other person who was going to be her new character is working with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a way to do it. Way back in the way back, my very first TPK I was a player for. It was in the moat house uh, in the village of Hamlet. Oh, the moat house. Uh, Oh, frogs. Boy. frogs. We got killed by frogs. My <laughs> cleverly named fighter, Travis Morgan, got eaten by a frog, and everybody else died too. I've had a couple of TPKs well. since then one from a <laughs> dragon and one from a bear. Oh, I, I want to know about uh, the bear, actually. Yeah, the dragon was understandable, right? It's a yeah, full yeah, obviously. fucking yeah. great worm red, right? It no was black problem. Black and brown People and covered in hair. This bear was an absolutely normal brown bear. And they could have just left it alone. It went after them to begin with, and they could have tried to scare it off. They could have hit it a couple of times, done any number of other things. But they decide that they want to eat bear meat, and it killed the whole party, like, one each round in four rounds. Bam, 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 bam. Jesus. And just at the last moment, just as the party is falling, the guy has a horse, and he's getting knocked out. And he has his horse kick it and the bear dies. So it's a total party <laughs> kill where the monster died too. It's just everybody was unconscious nice. and bleeding out by that point. That's no somehow more everyone impressive. dies. Yeah. yeah. The horse horse loots the bodies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That horse, horse is now level the adventurer two. now. That's right. yeah, the horse <laughs> levels up. Uh, the horse. We used to joke about bears being more deadly than dragons anywhere near the same level. Hmm. And that the horse was the only thing that you could take to fight a bear. Just for the longest time. The horse won Thunderdome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, that became your first Centaur PC. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've never had a TPK in fifth ed. I just haven't been running it long enough. I'm sure it'll come. I've gotten close a couple of times, but it's always, unfortunately, ended in like great triumph for my players. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it comes down to like, all right, this is your last die roll. And it like, bam, got it. So I, I've never had a TPK. I've, I've been very, very close. Like Jack, I, or, or maybe it was Ian, I've killed a player like 10 minutes after the initial start of game one. Not even combat, just environmental damage, uh, but nothing, no TPKs, no full TPKs. To me, that sounds kind of like the dream. Actively having your monsters do their best to kill them and then beating them anyway, that's freaking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's oh. the goal. Like, oh. if they can die, but they don't, wow. That was probably one of my favorite moments because everyone was standing, me included. Everyone was standing <laughs> up and they were oh, like, on your feet. like yeah. locked onto that D20. Like, what is that going to roll? Like, please nice. tell me what it's going to be. That was that was a good one. Nice. I, uh, I have intentionally had a TPK one time because I wanted to then revive the players and kind of indebt them to the Order of the Gauntlet. It was actually in uh, Tyranny of Dragons, in fact. There's a point where like the cult of the dragon is sending cultists and dragons after the party to try and stop them and try and kill them. And uh, yeah, they sent a black dragon and a bunch of cult of the dragon cultists and murdered the entire party at their home base. Oh, nice. uh, and destroyed it with acid breath as well. Um, and then the Order of the Gauntlet came in and revived everyone and was like, hey, guess what? You haven't been playing nice with us, but we just saved all of your asses. So now you're going to play nice. So. That makes for a decent story hook. Yeah. No, it was yeah. Good. 
And if you don't play um, nice, we're going to repossess this resurrection. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. We brought you back That's to life. Street. We can send you back to death as right. well. So <laughs> comes in a little glass vial. Just like with the gods, a TPK, a death does not have to be the end of the story. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. To remember. And meaningful individual deaths can be so much more story. Speaking of individual deaths, when I was a DM for Adventures League at a comic shop here in Chicago, I got the reputation of being the bloody DM of the three or four of us that would run games. Because I would be the one that, without fail, would kill a player character almost <laughs> every session. Without oh, even wow. trying to. It's just like, well, that person got knocked out and they failed all of their death saves or they got knocked out and then they're in the middle of where a fireball is happening. So they're taking some extra damage and automatically failing that one. And then they rolled a one and yeah, it just happened a lot. It was never a TPK for Adventures League, but almost always a player death this session. My, I definitely want to hear John's uh, Yeah, John, you gotta have it. No, right? I do actually, my, a couple of months ago, I, I launched season two and episode one, by the halfway mark, I had a TPK. So all of my main characters died. Um, and so I have a rule that I never fudge any roles in my show. I just, whatever happens, I, I make it work. And so um, I just made all of the adversaries become the new main characters. And I just kind of flipped it 180 <laughs> degrees. Nice. Yeah. I'd sort of done some work to make the original ones likable. Like it's all like thieves, uh, rival thieves guilds and stuff. Mm. So they're all kind of bastards, but I had sort of like made an effort to make them likable, you know, kind of a save the cat kind of moment, if that makes sense to any of you guys. So when this TPK happened, I had all these guys that I'd sort of painted as like real villains, like real assholes. Now they're the only ones that lived, but so I had a little bit of work to do in, ter in terms of making them like relatable, likable characters. But uh, yeah, that, that is what happened. And, and I think there's other ways you could uh, handle it. There's the, you know, you're all taken captive thing that totally works. Or you could just be like, all right, well, that was the prologue 20 years later. You know, and and then you know, like make it matter, and that way you're acknowledging the importance of those players' characters, especially if it's not a solo game. I think that's important. But yeah, I like always whatever happens, like make it matter to the story and make it drive the story. Especially uh, that take them captive thing in Five E. No matter what you did to knock them out, you can always pull your punch and do non-lethal. Right. Yeah, and a lot so, of times that would make sense for bad guys to do that too, right? Yep, yeah. because they're going to get more value out of captives than they are out of dead people. Right. Bandits, especially, are going to try to ransom you. Black knights will ransom totally. you. Dragons will ransom you. Cultists will ransom you. The list goes on. <laughs> mind flayers <laughs> will run experiments on you and turn you into more mind flayers. Right? Well, I mean, Drow, they do. Drow will go. take you as slaves, and then you get that whole arc of escaping from the stockade of the slave lords. I don't know if we've ever done that before. There are <laughs> limits, though. Aboliths will just turn you into goo. Uh, true. Yeah. <laughs> That's that true. But true. you're just going to get liquefied. So, yeah. Yeah, and then you have a party of plasmoids, and it's fine. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, it's actually what they become, not plasmoids, different. I, yeah. I know you know. I'm being, yeah. I'm being pedantic on purpose. Anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, John, you also had a near TPK at the tail end of season one. Yeah, I don't want to spoil anything because I yeah. know a lot of people are still working their way to that. But yeah, like suffice it to say, I don't fudge rolls and what happens, happens. And if you put some, you know, OSR characters against a dragon, which is sort of the ultimate showdown, bad things can happen. Yeah. 
very quickly. No, yes. No, yeah. the first TPK I experienced was actually my first and last adventure league right before COVID started. And we were at like level three and we came across a green dragon. And I was like, no, we should be running. The rest of the party's like, no, we're going to fight it. I'm like, no, we need to run. And so the game was like, no. The DM was used to Pathfinder. He's like, no, you guys can take a dragon. So he pops up and first roll was a breath weapon. And the one breath weapon, the entire party was just toast. Just done. <laughs> like, All right, it. there we go. It's melt. <laughs> yeah. All right. We have the next questioner actually in chat with us. Hey. This one is from Christian from My Sound Dell. Nice. If you had to pick from love of genre, creative expression, or fellowship with friends... Which has the highest attractive quality to why you play TTRPGs? Yes. Yeah. I mean, all of them, the ability to be creative with my friends is probably, I mean, I run a fucking podcast that's really involved in that. (laughs) So I think that's kind of a big deal. But yeah, like I think those two for me are probably my favorite aspects, the creative bit and doing it with my friends, like being able to share stories with my friends, create stories with my friends. Like that's always a big draw. What was the third one? I I don't remember. I don't recall. Love of genre. Love of genre. genre. Oh, sure. Yeah, no, the other other two. For for me, love of genre determines what TTRPG I might be playing with my friends. But the other two were the really important About whether we're playing. Yeah, exactly. Why am I playing with my friends? It's to be creative and to hang out with my friends. Absolutely. What game am I playing is determined by what we all want to play. So, yeah. Yeah, I totally couldn't pick a love of genre. I love almost every genre of geekdom. It has to be speculative. I'm not into role-playing real-world stuff. I've seen way too much real-world stuff. Thank you. So fantasy, science fiction, anything in any of the unreal genres, I will Mm. gladly play. I will gladly run. But yeah, I have to totally agree with both Rob and Mike. Those two are almost inextricable. The being with friends and the creation, one is as good as the other. And and this is the one place you can satisfy both at once. Yeah, I think, you know, it's something I heard forever ago and I love the concept. But when you think about your time with your friends, you don't remember things or events so much as you remember memories. It's the time you all laughed or it's the inside jokes you all have. And sitting at the table is a great time and place to create those moments. And so that's what it is. If for genre, I mean, I play a lot of video games and I generally play video games. So I don't deal with people just, you know, anxiety and stuff like that. But when I'm down at a table with people I'm comfortable with, people I know I can laugh with, and then you can be free to create that kind of stuff. It is exactly for those moments. I often think about like tabletop in general about like this idea that it is kind of exclusionary to a certain degree when it comes to the type of experiences that you have, right? Because with your friend group, with the people who are there at the table, those moments that you create can be profound, can be immense, but you cannot share them as well because oftentimes sharing D&D experiences, sharing tabletop experiences can often come off as explaining a dream, yeah. which is like, it might be profound to you, but like explaining it to someone else, unless you're a really good storyteller, unless it's a really good fucking dream, it's just not going to have the, and then when you tell them and they're like, oh, cool. And you're like gutted. Cause it's like, I was crying at the table. And you're like, <laughs> it like, and they're just like, oh yeah, that's cool. That sounds like a, fo- a fun thing. And it's like, it's exclusive to that group. It is a shared dreaming experience together. The one exception to that. And it's not entire because the experience at the table is different from the viewer's experience. 
But the thing I'm noticing, one of the things about the actual play thing, yes, yeah, yeah is yeah. that a lot more people are suddenly enjoying the same dream, right? Yes, and I mean it exactly that way because those mm-hmm. profound moments are real, and suddenly. Because of Critical Role, let's be honest, who started it? There are water cooler moments where 50, 100, 10,000 people, I looked at their viewers the other day, 15,000 people at once are watching people role play and have those Mm -hmm. profound emotional moments that can only come from embodying a character and Mm -hmm. then exposing it to both random chance and the dangers provided by the game master. Well, again, once you start doing something like actual plays, particularly with Critical Role and stuff like that, it is very much like going to the theater, you know, and I'm not like the movie theater to a point, but like actual theaters and plays and play acting guilds. It is very much that experience. And so, yeah, there is audience immersion at that point. Just like when you're at the table, there is player immersion. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's transformative, though, at that point. Mm -hmm. It becomes, as you're suggesting, theater. Yeah. Rather than right. like a play experience, right? Th- those are two different For things. Them, yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. A well done actual play. You're having the play experience at the table and they're having the theater experience watching you. Yes. Right. Yeah. But the cool thing is because it's an actual play, no one knows how it's going to end. No yes. one knows where it's going. Yeah. Not yeah. even the game master if he's doing it right. Obviously. Right. I think we all agree on that. Yeah. Um, oh no, I plan my my endings from the beginning. It's my, my it's much easier. That <laughs> Wait, way. you guys don't know how your campaigns are going to end when you start the first. Oh session. yeah, I know I how my campaign wants to end. I usually have fifty percent scenes, and we end up with the sixty third. Rocks fall and everyone dies. Yeah, there you oh, go. Yeah. But yeah, I really think it's interesting because now it's possible for large numbers of people to talk about the same game and and have yeah. a point of reference. Why so many people want to play in that mm. world? Why their setting books are so popular? They oh, felt yeah. it. They've seen it. They know it. They're, yeah. they're also remarkably fun and creative. Like there are, yeah. like yeah. they're 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 <laughs> hook laden for sure, right? Oh, like there's like oh, oh yeah. I'm going to feel very well feel that you know yeah yeah. Ian, what else okay. we got? All right, so now we're going to get into a couple of recommendation shout out questions. Let's go. Both of these are from anonymous submitters. First one is: Do you have a favorite real play podcast or show? Doesn't have to be D&D, and Critical Role and Adventure Zone don't count. I'm going to start off by saying this may seem like heresy, but I have never listened to a single episode of the Adventure Zone. Mm. Um, Neither have I. Impressive. Mainly because by the time I found out about them, they had such a huge backlog of episodes. I have nothing against the McElroys. I just don't feel like diving into that back catalog. And I probably wouldn't be as regular a watcher or listener of Critical Role as I am if I hadn't gotten in on Campaign 1, Episode 6. That's fair. So that is where I am with that. That said, I do listen to a whole bunch of different actual plays in a whole bunch of different uh, games. I think I only listen to two 5e games. That's of Mice and Men and Monsters and Tales of Bone and Ice. Uh, Tales of Bone and Ice is a newer one. I really enjoy that one. It is a survival horror game in a frozen wasteland full of the undead. And it's got some comedic horror aspects to it, too. And it's a whole lot of fun. Other The other two that I fairly regularly listen to our uh, Maker's Misfits, which is a Pathfinder 2E game, and The Lovely Craftians, which is a Call of Cthulhu actual play. Mm-hmm. And they are about to conclude season four, which wraps up 
the whole storyline across all four seasons. So nice. I'm really excited about that. Mm. So what so, what have you guys got? <laughs> so for established actual plays, I'm surprised they didn't put Dimension 20 off limits. That is true. So I'm going to grab that low-hanging fruit uh, <laughs> because Brennan and his guest GMs are all just... Uni- I haven't watched a whole arc of anything. I just catch them occasionally. Right. But Brennan and all of the guest GMs for Dimension 20 have just blown me away every time I've seen them. And I love the way they do their presentation. I am going to just point out there that they asked for our favorites, not the best. So I am safe in pointing out that I run two different actual plays at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) One of which is in my own world. This one right here, successor states of Rega for charity. And I think we're amazing. Other people will have to go look to find that out, I guess. But I also run a GURPS horror actual play set in the old west i love horror westerns like that mix is just like it's so delicious to me i love yeah. that well i think the first episode's still on vod but if it's not it's on my youtube Oh, awesome. Plug that. Yeah, Rob, you don't like Western horrors. You didn't do a world building setting with Clark about a a Western (laughs) horror setting. Yeah, uh, shout out to Clark. But yeah, I made sure that we did an entire Weird West setting specifically because it's like I need that in my life right now. And And it uh, was probably one of my favorites. It's one of the top three. Fear the Light is very fun. It is very good to get into. Yeah, I had a lot of fun building the setting for the Old West game. It's a little fictional town called Bone Gulch. It's in Arizona. It's about 10 miles from the real place called Canyon Diablo that I based it on. It's about 10 miles from the painted desert and the petrified forest. 10 miles in a different direction, there's a 50,000-year-old meteorite crater. Also about 10 miles away, there's a cave where 200 Apache were smoked and burned to death by the Navajo after they took prisoners from a Navajo encampment. So this little town is in this crossroads of, (laughs) yeah, if I want crazy, I can put it here. Nice. Oh yeah. I generally listen to my podcast as I commute. And so I've got classes coming back up, so I'll get to do that. So I'm really looking forward to getting into more of Tales of the Manticore. Actually, I got to listen to your first couple um, sessions of season one and I really enjoyed it and just haven't been doing that commute like I normally did. So I haven't had time. Another thing I really enjoyed was 19 hits the dragon did um, with two other podcasts. I forget who the other two were, but you did um, an alien RPG live play yes. last October. Nice. And that was, that was wonderfully done, especially with the sounds and stuff you were able to insert. That was really, really yeah. well done. Josh was a fantastic game master there. It was tabletop journeys and uh, dads with nerdy ambitions all teamed up last October for a Halloween trio crossover episode. And it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. So yeah, thank you. Good. I'm glad you cool. like that. As far as the shows that I listen to, I tend to search for shows that do kind of like variety. So I'm going to give two shout outs to uh, Trials of the Apocalypse. It was a really fantastic show that runs Powered by the Apocalypse games. I've actually had the chance to chat with David, the DM, on my show and had him um, on one of the games that we did when we did an actual play as well. But uh, yeah, really fantastic. They play basically one shots in a variety of different powered by the apocalypse systems so apocalypse world you know uh, monster of the week and all kinds of stuff they've got a lot of really great arcs and it's always a really good time really fun time as well along the same lines of that is two weeks one shot uh shout out to those guys i actually got the chance to gm on their show as well and that is airing currently the game that we played but they play one shots bi-weekly episodes of just a variety of different games as well. And those guys are absolutely hilarious. Like I am constantly in stitches listening to those episodes. Awesome. Um, so 
highly recommend both. Cool. Um, I'm one of these like super, super nerd guys that actually like serious fantasy. <laughs> so I actually, I tend to avoid the comedy APs. Although I, I got to say the Adventure Zone really is good. Anyway, that's off, <laughs> that's off limits. That's off limits. Um, so I'm going to shout out Me, Myself, and Die, which is a YouTube channel uh, run yeah. by Trevor Duvall. And yeah. it is so good it's disgustingly good actually it makes you want to give up a little bit because he's so good and it's not just he's not just a great dm and storyteller and voice actor but he also has like production values multiple cameras moving oh, yeah. cameras oh my god it's it me it's want to give so up. good it's so good and it just makes me think well if this is out there how can i compete for eyeballs and ears anyway trevor is also and he's a great guy too so trevor devolves me myself and i is amazing and for podcasts, there's another one. Again, it's a solo play. I think the solo plays tend to um, be like the serious ones because when you're with a bunch of people, you goof and that's like just natural, right? Yeah. Uh, so the solo ones tend to kind of like get into the dirt of it. And uh, Errant Adventures is a really good one. Steve Morrison runs that. And he plays like uh, Iron Sworn or mythic-driven solo RPGs, sometimes sci-fi, sometimes fantasy. He, he switches up constantly, actually, and, and that's really good stuff. I will say this. I had three that I was going to recommend, and each had been stolen individually. <laughs> <laughs> so Jack took Dimension 20 from me because I am absolutely in love with Brennan Lee Mulligan. Yep. James took Tale of the Manticore from me. <laughs> and then, John, you took me, myself, and Die. We How had Trevor on the podcast for an interview. You're oh. right. He's a lovely human. Oh, he's so uh, good. We, honestly, that interview we had to cut because it was like we talked for an additional 20 minutes after we stopped recording. Mm -hmm. And nice. we could have gone. We could have kept going. It was great. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, fuck all of you, but those three are <laughs> what I'm going for. <laughs> well done. Well done. Yeah. Good job, team. Yeah. So I, I do it's want... Conspiracy. I'm going to cheat here and tack one on to the end here. Um, so the very first actual play that I found and that got me into really the D&D space was Thursday Nights. And that's nice with a K. I recently found out that they finally wrapped up their stream back in September last year. They were the first D&D &D weekly live stream. Damn. They started before Twitch. They started on Justin wow. TV. I was going to say on Justin, oh. right? Yeah. yeah. And that was my introduction to D&D &D live plays. And it pains me to learn because I went... I got away from it for a little bit. I was almost caught up. And then the sheet metal shop that I was working in banned earbuds because, mm. because somebody was being uh, a dick and not following safety procedures. And so they ruined it for everybody. But I was almost caught up. I was like one or two episodes away from finally being caught up. And then it just fell off. But, um, oh. but yeah, they mm. were originally on the same time slot that Critical Role was. When Critical Role started, they started at the exact same time on the exact same day. Wow. <laughs> and and so as Critical Role gained popularity, it pulled eyes away from them and they just got to a point where, you know, we used to have a thousand viewers for our live streams and now we're down to ten. So mm -hmm. so when they switched time yikes. slots though. You just switched and, time and they did. They did point. switch time yeah. slots, but just oh, wow. because Critical Role became so popular, so many more people started doing mm. actual plays and it diluted the pool. Mm. 
Mm -hmm. There's only so many hours that you can spend consuming media, yeah. right? So yeah, you've got to somehow have a really big, some big draw, and you have to be patient. Mm -hmm. I don't know, yeah. you know, I ever get enough eyes on mine to make a difference. Right now, I'm just trying to make money for charity. But yeah, mm -hmm. it's a it's a bear. But yeah, so that is my special mention at the tail end is Thursday okay. nights, the original weekly actual play game. A tip of the hat. Yeah. <laughs> Everything I know about D&D 4th Edition, I learned from that podcast because season one was 4E. And they started the actual wow. podcast off of their live stream recordings at level 10 as they were wrapping up. Like the first two episodes are the very tail end of Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil. Hmm. And then so they pick up from there and the repercussions of all of that. That was they ended up going all the way to level 30. They ended up at the end, they're having to kill gods and absorb their essences in order to go back in time and avert the apocalypse because they missed their yes. window to avert the apocalypse. <laughs> As you do. As yeah. you do. So, you know, they had other things going on that day. Yeah. So. I mean, you were busy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got to have priorities. There was a sale at the donut shop, avert apocalypse, Good donuts, time. apocalypse, donut. Donuts are going to win. You know, buying donuts can avert the apocalypse if you buy them at the right time. That's right. It's true. It's very true. All right. Last question that we're going to do before we dive into a monster mashup. Recommend one creator that really inspires you. Well, Ian, I don't know if you know of this podcast. It's Under Common Taste. Um, <laughs> they've just celebrated their 100th episode. And I do want to shout out they're great creators. They're great people. <laughs> I hear uh, that the party is still creative. going. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, we're still shouting them out, though. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's an ongoing shout-out. It's a rolling shout-out. So, yeah, that for sure, that's going to be up there. And then I'll let other people talk while I consider another answer. The uh, first one that comes to mind is a YouTube creator who on Twitter is at Legal Kimchi. He produces extraordinarily well-thought-out videos about sometimes very sensitive topics in the TTRPG space, bioessentialism, why inclusion matters, who it affects. And he also does really important videos about how leather armor did or did not work. He covers well, leather, a wide Leather armor is actually historically feasible. Uh, a thing, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, that it is, but it's not quite what people thought it was either. He does a great set of videos and he puts them together in an entertaining fashion as well. For me, I mean, within the gaming community and whatnot, I will always give a shout out to Dr. Crowell, you know, kind of original friend of show, was a huge fan of your music and still very grateful that she's been able to help us interact with us. So that's a lot of fun. Other things in general, I like food. So just general content, but uh, Tasting History with Max Miller. Uh, oh, yeah. Does some good historical dives and some food. And I mean, look at The Hobbit, look at Tolkien. You can always throw food into your campaigns and make it part of your story. It works whenever. Mm -hmm. I've seen other people actually try to take recipes and stuff and bring historical or fantasy recipes to offer their players as part of, you know, whatever they're eating for game nights, which I think is a fairly awesome idea, too. So that's, you know, a fun twist you can put on things if you're inclined to do that. So they have little else in common. Tolkien, George R.R. R. Martin and uh, Brian Jakes all have an obsession with food in their novels. Well, I like Vance. food. <laughs> yes, Jack Vance, food is too. Good. Yeah. Yep. I'm going to shout out uh, Tana Pigeon, who is the creator of the Mythic Game Master emulator system. And it is 
pure genius, and I feel like she should probably be a millionaire, and I'm going to guess isn't. But she made the system which makes GM-less play, and it doesn't have to be solo, it can be with a group, but just everyone's a player, it makes it really like exciting and rich, and you end up with stories that are like things you never would have thought of on your own, but with this engine, it just unlocks parts of your brain you just didn't even know were there. The, basically, it hinges around a, a single uh, mechanic where if you ask the oracle a question and you roll two uh, D percentile and you look at one chart and it gives an action and another chart gives a subject. So you might roll something like fend on the first chart and then piety on the second. And then you're like, defend piety defend piety all i asked the oracle was what is this book about and then you have to like figure out how does that make sense and it just funnels you into ideas that you never would have had on your own it's brilliant it's so good i just feel like tana pigeon should be like a household name in D, &D and i guess she's not yet but she deserves it so that's my rec all right cool mike you yeah, are i've been sitting here racking my brain trying to figure out who I should shout out. A lot of really great suggestions so far. I want to give a big shout out to Master the Dungeon, which is a yes. YouTube channel. They do pretty short videos that are like fun animation and kind of punchy, uh, not even dialogue, but scripting, I guess, mm -hmm. with some jokes in there along the way, but provide a lot of really excellent inspiration to take back to your game talking about all kinds of different stuff a lot of their episodes revolve around like traps or some of the ones yeah. that are like mm. the biggest ones that get seen but um they provide a lot of other really great insight into other aspects mm. as well so definitely go check them out and watch this stuff. i was gonna say they have a they have a wonderful i think they're up to like 25 or 26 videos playlist of just videos on traps on different types yeah. of traps something, and how to implement like them yeah yeah. yeah, people need a lot of help with that because people get just all caught up in the deadliness or how to make sure that they actually get to use the trap interestingly and not just kill everybody. So yeah. I've thought of another that uh, I, I genuinely feel he, they are an amazing content creator. Uh, C.R. Rowanson, uh, a.k.a. Clark, a.k.a. the Magic Engineer, has literally changed the way that I tend to look at magic systems and how I approach magic and magic systems in not just my role-playing systems, but also in like creative kind of spaces in general. Magic System Blueprint by C.R. Rowanson. That's a great book. If you are looking for a way to sit down and really think about your magic system in ways that you haven't before, he is an invaluable resource for you as creative type. And it is not just fantasy. It's generally applicable. Piggybacking off of that, not a creator, but just the magic system, having as many ways to approach that as possible. GURPS magic and GURPS thaumatology, even if you never play GURPS, mm. really get in-depth in how to build a magic system. I'm going to go good look at the thing by Rawlinson. C.R. Rawlinson, you said? C.R. Yeah. Rawlinson, yeah. Yeah. Because I don't think there's a way to have too many sources and insights on things like that. Right. right. The more perspectives you get, the better and more interesting your magic systems are going to be, especially if they're inspired by things other than the European hermetic tradition and the things that people get trapped inside of so much. Absolutely. And speaking to that, another good inspiration for that is, is a creator on Twitter that I follow, Phil Bricado. He goes by Satiros Bricado on Twitter now, guy who made the first Mage the Ascension game. But he also made mm -hmm. a game called Deliria, which was a diceless game that's all about 
every aspect of fey and magic interacting with the world at the same time. Really, as you were pointing out about uh, Rowanson's work, very mind-opening, very changes your perspective on how magic can work, almost as much as the first time I read The Sandman. Mm. Okay, right. And uh, my shout-out is going to be for Luke Stratton, a.k.a. Limithron. He is the creative mind behind the Morkborg hack Pirate Borg. And he has recently started his own podcast where he is interviewing game creators and content creators called The Ship of the Dead. And the production value on that has been really good. And so I very strongly recommend it. If we're tossing in like game designers, I would like to shout out Johan and Pele from, uh, Pele from uh, Morkborg. They're wonderful people, not at all what their games would suggest. And John Harper, Blades in the Dark. And, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Aegon. Like the way that he approaches game design is fantastic. And the fact that our politics tend to line up is also a plus. I'll say that. Yeah. No, I have to agree with the Blades in the Dark creator because I just three months ago joined an actual play of Blades in the Dark. I'd never played Blades in the Dark. And it's, yeah, exactly. brilliant work the forged in the dark system is i want to run it soon i don't want to tell i'm going to derail so i'm gonna say i love hacking that system i love it so much it's so easy to do it's like been designed ground up to do so holy fuck i love it it's so good all right yeah it's almost the same way as powered by the apocalypse in that regard but i like the flow of it better Yes, I agree with that. I've actually been shifting away from PBTA and more towards Blades in the Dark. Although I still have a real soft spot for City of Mist, but that's something else. Anyway, one of my buddies has a PBTA hack just called The City that's sort of Bloodborne inspired. And it's really good. But I still I just like the Blades in the Dark, the way it flows better for some reason. I feel you. I like Call of Cthulhu because I like D100 systems. Yeah, that's that's it. And non-Euclidean dice. As I watch... Rob, it's okay. No, I'm good. I got, I got through it. I got through it. <laughs> uh, all right. So I think we have rattled on long enough. Never. I refuse to end. No, I will. I will rage on. I can well, continue to rattle for some well, more. We, we can continue to rattle as we roll some dice along with okay. it. All right. This is now a charity stream. It's a 24 hour charity stream. We didn't <laughs> intend it to go this way, but that's what it is now. Shake, shake. <laughs> Didn't well, know what I was signing up for, but all right, yeah. let's go. <laughs> I wish I had known ahead of time. I would have advertised better. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Maybe not a charity to give the money to. I don't have a way to accept <laughs> money. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. I keep trying to give you money and you just don't want to take it. I got so many Bezos bucks for you and you just, you come on, man. <laughs> all right. So let's go ahead and do a monster mashup. Hell yeah. Let's go. So I'm just going to go across as I see. So I'm going to roll first because I don't ever get to roll first. That's fair. Uh, it's your hundredth episode. I, I know, mean, right? Like, it's only fair yeah, you get do, to do, do it once. So we're going to start off with a D4 for locomotion. It's a two. It runs. It means so many things as we discovered before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so Jack, you're next with a D6 roll. What does it eat? What does it eat? Mm, four. Fruits and vegetables. All right. Okay. It runs and it eats fruits and veggies. Keep in mind, this still describes a wild boar. We're not out of the woods yet. Yeah. Mm. All right. So, James, give me another D6 roll for the size. All right. A six. 
It's gargantuan. Of course it is. <laughs> so we can have like that boar in Princess Mononoke, the weird yeah. tentacle thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was only huge. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, we could have like maybe like Mothra. I mean, I've already got so many ideas, but we got to get. I mean, uh, yeah. we got we got to get. We, through we, got, it, right? we got some things that we have to get right? through. First. We don't get to just yeah. go with our ideas yet. We got to follow yeah. the roll of the dice. Yep, yep. All right. So, Mike, you're up with a D8 roll for social organization. Eight. That's an eight. We're rolling hot today. Horde, one hundred plus. Oh my! <laughs> it is nice. massive, and there are a lot of them. Okay, I'm feeling and a lot of like interstellar waves. Yeah, yeah, this is. A, yeah, this is a yeah, no, it's a hundred plus gargantuan creatures is that takes up some space, yo. That's either yeah. in the water or the sky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they run, so that's weird. Oh, that's yeah. true. They do run. Oh man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wide and open plains, maybe. Who knows? Maybe we'll get stuck in the tundra again. Giant magical reindeer. It's the vegan <laughs> titans from Attack on Titan, the ones that we'd never see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Next up. Rob, give me a D10 roll for native environment. I rolled a one. A one. Arctic slash tundra. Okay, we're going to see how these guys interact with the tundra behemoth is what I'm hearing. Yeah, our tundra behemoth. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Apparently we have some big ass things up in the Arctic. In this particular world, apparently we do. Plenty of room for them to run around up there in the frozen waste. So I think I have a lead in. Do we have another roll? We've got a couple. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. So next up, John, D12 roll for method of defense. Right. A four. A four? Stinger. Okay. <laughs> mm. Now we know why they're in horde. Yeah, because they're a colony creature. Yeah. They're, they're like, like giant honeybees. Bees. bees. Mm-hmm. But, they bees. but they run. But they run. Scorpion. Arctic scorpions. Yes. That, well, or, or fire ants. Like, they I don't think done yet, though. See, I, I'm imagining that ants. these are pests who are gnawing at the roots of the world tree because there's oh, a yeah. horde. The world tree is massive beyond massive, and these things are gnawing at the roots of it. So, yeah, why not? Oh, that's fair. It could actually just literally be a horde organization of Nidhugger. I mean, yeah. I, 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 got, I got something that to play off of that. Instead, they are in the grove of a dune. Oh, yeah. I love, I love and that. And they feed on the apples that have fallen from the tree. Oh, I like mm. that. Yeah. I mean, considering that you're not going to have much rainfall in an Arctic tundra that will enable like plant growth, that works. Yeah. I can accept that as well. Sure. Okay. I mean, the problem is, is the apples of Iduna are man-sized, sized to us. Yes, but they grant immortality, so they only need to eat one. <laughs> so they're okay. constantly hungry, which means they're constantly pissed. Or they could be like the Lambus bread, where maybe like it's just super dense nutrition, so you can eat mm-hmm. one, and it's enough to satisfy you for, you know. But there's a hundred of them. Like... There could be, but the problem with that is, is that that's a different Norse food. Okay. The apples of it doing specifically don't do that because there is a food that does. Okay, yes. fair enough. Okay, so this is where we might just mess up everything. Let's okay, go. Uh, because this is a D12 roll for creature type. Hmm. Ooh, 11. It's a plant. Cannibal. Okay. Mistletoe. A running plant. It's a running plant that has, it's a stinger, which means that they're thorns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like a creeper like, vine, like a blood vine. Like, but it yeah. creeps. Yeah. 
slash venomous, probably both. It's a thorny poison sumac kudzu cross, and it's gargantuan because it covers so much distance. Okay. It could almost be fungal, like the um, giant fungal colonies they have. Mm-hmm. It could, but it did say planet. Okay. Well, let's be honest. In D and D creature yeah. terms, myconids yeah. are considered plants. That's yeah. fair. That's fair. Creature I'm just group. saying. Yeah. There are all kinds of plants that are not, not what we yeah. would call plants in the real world. So, yeah, yeah. Now, the supermassive grouping of fungal colonies actually dovetails in with our tundra behemoth somewhat. It does. It does. Because that's what it feeds on. Yep. Okay, I like that. Okay. Yeah, we can make that work. All uh, right. Okay. I'm still stuck in the world tree thing because in my mind, it's the only thing that's going to make the swarm aspect of this work. I like the idea that this is like some kind of an invasive species that is trying, in fact, to feed on the world tree. It's ivy. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's like ivy or it's like crawling up. And it's, so, like, yeah. Oh, it's yeah, okay. Yeah, it doesn't run. It's like, like, a, like a lichen. It's halfway in a lichen and an ivy. Like it hugs on the way a lichen does but it twists and tries to choke the yeah. way an ivy does. And the reason it doesn't make any dang sense is because, like you're pointing out, it's invasive. If it's invasive to the world tree, that means it's from outside. Yeah, It's from thing- outside the nine worlds, which fundamentally puts it in what D&D calls the far realm. Yeah. Another thing, too, is since it eats plants and fruits, maybe it is slightly cannibalistic. And so, therefore, if it's a part that's far enough removed from the central core from what it is, it's going to try to eat those. And so it breaks up. And that's why you get those spore colonies of hundreds is it it could be initially one giant colony, but there's parts where it's eaten itself. And so it's broken it up into smaller chunks. That's kind of starting to get a little bit. It's like a hive mind. Yeah, but it's like it's a singular creature, but it's it's a swarm, basically. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. It's a singular creature. It's a swarm. It eats itself, which is why it's not a singular creature. Yeah, but it doesn't do so thoughtfully necessarily. Right. And it, it runs. Almost, John John brought up an excellent point where it was like it still needs to run, so we have to imagine this thing like ambulatory well, in that we way. Can, no, we or can. It's we runners, can. right? Like it, exactly. Uh, it doesn't actually run. It's got runners of creepers. Yeah. It runs because oh, creepers okay, run okay. up the wall. Creepers yeah, yeah, run okay. up the exactly. hole. So gotcha. we can play with the verbiage. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad. Okay. We, we can play fast and loose with our terminology. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We got one more. How many? How many we got left? Uh, we got a couple more. Um, so I'm kind of the, uh, the Zerg creep. Yeah. Where you mm. have the spore colonies and it just kind of. Yeah. Mm. Oh, we lost James. You were doing so well. You were doing so well. Yeah. I would tend to agree with that. It's one of the reasons I mentioned kudzu, because mm-hmm. if you've ever been in kudzu and seen what it does to the rest of yes. the environment as an invasive species in the South, yeah, combine that with the potential speed of fungal propagation and the size of these things to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I still do, as Rob said, I do like it in basically the environment of Niflheim because that is a Arctic tundra and it's at the base of the tree. Okay. I like that. So it fulfills all the needs, and the apples of Idun can fall all the way down there if you want them to. Yeah. At the very least, you got acorns falling from the branches. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That would probably actually make more sense in this particular context, is to have it feed on the acorns of the world tree. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whatever else falls off the tree. Yeah. 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 It is very opportunistic. Of course. Right. But it also is trying to kill the tree because it wants to, it doesn't want necessarily, but it's going to be making the universe that it's in more like the universe it's from just as a side effect. Well, and like I said, it's opportunistic. It sees the world tree as 
look at this giant food source. I'm going to eat it. The whole right. damn thing. <laughs> One of the we don't know how intelligent this thing either, so it could just be like almost like a force of nature. Yeah, you know, it's it's mindlessly and consuming. The reason I bring up the changing the universe or reality it's in to match the one it's from is because it could literally have reality warping powers mm. in the same way that some of the aberrations do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now, Jack, I need a D20 roll, please, for quirks. Nice. 18. 18. Volatile hybrids capable of reproducing with different but similar species. Yeah, we've already, well, we've already done this. Right into what we were yeah. talking about. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. 100%. <laughs> yeah we have, keep it moving. We don't need to talk about this shit. We, we already did that one already. Right. We're already way over time. Time is a construct. Uh, it's also time a is a flat circle. Yes. I gotcha. Time gotcha. is a weird time soup. Weird <laughs> oh, All damn right. it. So, James, nerding yeah. all over each other. Give me a D100 roll because now it's time to make it weird. Now? Now. Weirder. D1. <laughs> Yay, weird. Yeah, weird. And this is where we lose him. <laughs> 72. 72. 72. Let's scroll we, down. We talked about time, so his time span yeah. just sort of blurred. That's all. Yeah. Someone's yeah, exactly. just over there casting time stop okay. on James. Time does weird things when you look at it. So okay. 72 can blink <laughs> up to five feet at will. <laughs> so that's uh, how it spreads. Literally how it spreads. It does not exactly physically move. Yeah. Like it runs in the way creepers and stuff run up trees, right? The thing moves and expands by simply blinking into existence. It poofs replication. You know, mitosis, uh, but boom, 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 boom. I would like to also propose that when it blinks five feet, it doesn't necessarily move on that plane of existence. It can move five feet in any other dimension, shall we say. So if you said that it's an outsider of kind, right? So maybe when it moves, it's actually, it's kind of like a nightcrawler, right? He has to travel through that hell dimension whenever he teleports. And that's right. what it's doing, right? Five feet at a time. And yeah. by doing it that way, because a D&D context, Yggdrasil, the world tree, has portals to all of these different planes. Oh, look at that. Yeah. How about that? This is how it transfers from one plane to another. Mm. So it, it's an invasive species that could potentially invade any world. and yes. eat it. Yes. It can and it's going to. Is what it can do. It already yeah. has. I think, ultimately, it will. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it already has, but it also already hasn't and never will. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah, like Ragnarok, but, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Ragnarok is just a metaphor for the invasion of Christianity into the Norse nations. Anyway. We're going to be here all night if we get into that. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, like, oh, oh, yeah. you okay. think we're over time uh, now? Just, yeah. We're way over time now. What you talking right. about? Who cares? Yeah. Mike, I, what's up? give me another D100 roll because chaos. Maximum chaos. 91. Oh, no. We oh, actually no, we lost actually James. Lost James. Mm. Oh. There we go. 91? 91. 91. Okay. It was big numbers. <laughs> this is appropriate. Is the last of its kind. Oh, perfect. Yeah. That yeah. is perfect. And what's interesting about that is, okay, so it's all one thought. It's absolutely huge. There's a hundred of it or more at a time, but all of them are just it. But it wasn't always that way because it's from a world, its original world was just on so much of a bigger scale that it was functionally mm -hmm. a microbe. Okay. Yeah. Cool. yeah. I like that. 
Okay. Yeah, we can work with that. Yeah, yeah definitely. down. Yeah. All right. And just because this is episode 100 and because I don't want some of us to get more rolls than anybody else, Rob, give me another D100 oh, roll. <laughs> All of the quirks. 63. 63 is constantly precognizant six seconds in the future. Hmm. Uh, this total, this all fits. Again, like, okay. Uh, yeah. We've already done this. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we've already put in the work. John, what do you got for a D hundred roll? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, just, we're just keeping this moving. Let's see yeah. if this shit continues to write itself. I got 25. 25. It's the world tree. Yeah. All right. There we go. <laughs> Wields a crude, appropriately Ooh. sized weapon. Ooh, that's a good one. I mean, that really, is a good one. It could have spores that would act as clubs. Like, you know how when a mushroom or a, I think the vines or whips. Yeah. It's got those uh, stingers, right? Those thorns. Or yeah. even like when molds, when they try to spore, so they get the spore stalks and they kind of move with the wind so they can pollinate, mm. you know. So it could be one of those that smack, 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 smack. I want to challenge ourselves here. I want it to be a, a manufactured weapon or okay. at least something that it doesn't produce itself. Okay. Mm. My brain immediately went to the nail that pierces the heart of the world, which is something I just made up. But it, I want something mm-hmm. that's like that. Okay. Uh, it's in Niflheim. Mm-hmm. It wields all the weapons of the dishonored dead because they're not allowed them. All of them that were cast off from the tree. So it's yeah. been gathering up the wi- the oh, weapons of the no. warriors the entire time. There we go! Yes. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Well done. There we go. Well done. Beautifully played. I love Easy. that. All no right. Problem. No problem. So that's where knowing a lot of mythology comes in handy. It's on this. Again, this is a large thing because it wields weapons. Walking or traveling across it needs to be difficult terrain. And you invoke attacks of opportunity whenever you pass one of these stocks or whatever that would wield one of these weapons oh that, yeah also it has a reality warping aura as i pointed out right. and i wouldn't be surprised if it had the necrotic equivalent to fiery body okay yeah i'm yeah, just I- imagining trying to pass through or nearby this thing and you're getting like swarmed by blinking like warriors of the dead essentially and it's like oh. you're getting like wave after wave yeah, because the, basically yeah. uh it may not be wielding them directly. Remember the yellow musk zombie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So basically it's wielding the dead who are wielding the weapons. Wait, They're not wait, wait. I've got They're this. Plants. I have James, it. What you got? What do you got? You James? said it can warp reality, right? Because it's, it's yep. some sort of outsider. When you're walking on this thing, because of the spores, it alters your perception. So you think you are actually on an ancient battlefield fighting the dishonored undead. You are actually in reality walking through this mass of this stuff while it is using the weapons against you, but you perceive it as a battlefield and the dishonored undead. I dig it. Yeah. I dig it. Yeah. That that's (laughs) like some weird um, perception is reality. So both of those things are happening. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I I, I totally dig that. That's great. That's the thing to remember is when we're dealing with reality warping, it's not an either or. It's right. not a this is happening or that's happening. It's not a you think this, this. Right. It's multiple mutually exclusive things are true simultaneously. Yes. All right. <laughs> so let's do a quick recap on what madness we have wrought. works in despair. Quick recap. Yeah. Yeah. It runs, it eats fruits and vegetables. 
Specifically, at this point, I think we are saying that it feeds on the acorns of the world tree, primarily. And also the world tree itself, I think. And also the roots. Yeah, Yeah. the roots of the tree. Yeah. Yeah. It is gargantuan in size. It is a horde creature, so there are 100 plus individuals altogether. Oh, way more than 100 at this point. We're talking... You know, thousands upon thousands. Yeah, it's, well, it's technically infinite because yeah. it either yeah, it, it both sure. does and does not exist. Mm. Correct, and it both has and does not have limits. It okay, got we got to keep this moving. Your we, um, yeah. It is native to the Arctic slash tundra. It has a stinger. It is a plant creature. It creates volatile hybrids, so it can breed with similar but different other creatures. So it can breed with similar but other lichen, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we forgot about the stinger. The stinger is how it hybridizes, by the way, just yeah. to make that yeah. quick and simple. It injects it. The thing is, it's fungal. That means we're similar to it. Yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. We we are okay. we are just walking bags of protein. Of course we're similar to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we uh, actually have more in common with fungi than plants do. Yes. And then our weirdnesses are it can blink up to five feet at will. It is the last of its kind. It is precognizant six seconds into the future, and it wields crude, appropriately sized weapons. So I think we I think we got rid of the crude part, but yes, agreed. So the important question now is what are we calling it? I, I might so the gate okay. in, into to escape from Niflheim. Uh you're you're breaking up again, James. Oh, uh, okay, hold on. So you want to just text it to me and I will uh, just message it to me and I will read it off. Oh, if James said yeah. it was the permafrost, I actually think that that's really interesting because it's actually like it might look like a permafrost. Yes. The, but permaf- the fact that it's like a white colored fungal growth or something like that. Yeah, that, that just looks like hoarfrost. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It actually makes more sense, especially mm. in Norse terms than a black thing of this kind. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, that, um, that works. And that gives me a name for it if we don't like James's. Uh, I think, I don't know, I'm, I'm cool with permafrost, but if you go, what, what's what's your alternative? What's the dueling name? Hellsop. Okay. Uh, um, Niflheim is the place where the Hall of Hell resides. Mm-hmm. Sop is Old Norse for fungus, literally. The other possibility is Svamp. Hellsvamp. Hellsop. I'm cool. Uh, you know what? Anyone can tell you I'm the one who cares the least about naming things for the <laughs> most part. So yeah, I'm down with that idea too. Whatever. You know what? For a being of this magnitude, size, and expanse, I'm sure it has dozens, if not okay. hundreds of names yeah. by now. Yeah, that's so, what yeah. I was going to say, is you're going Absolutely. to find that it's going to have names in different names in every mythology and culture that's encountered it. Yeah. And that's all This thing's like a world ender. Yeah. Yeah. So what was, the name, what was the actual name that you were calling it, James? I, I wasn't clear on that. Yeah, no, I mean, that makes yeah. sense as, as a name for it as well. Because when it comes through, we're talking about more than just freezing things. We're talking about this is the thing that brings on the heat death of the universe. We're yeah. talking about yeah, the end of Brownian motion. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I really do. And also, one name in a weird language with a, another name in English is always really evocative. Of course. <laughs> so, Elsop, parentheses, the permafrost. permafrost yeah. Or vice yeah. versa. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'm real big on giving colloquial names, colloquial right. alternate names. So, like, the scholars are going to call it Helsop 
or the natives are going to call it that, but the adventurers that are walking through and encountering it. What the hell is going... this permafrost stuff? Yeah, yeah. they're, they're going to call it permafrost because they don't know what it is. They know what it does. Right. right. The really interesting thing about it is because of the hybridization and the evocation of the use of the dead warriors weapons and the use of the dead warriors themselves, by the way, they are crude, not because they started out that way, but because they deteriorated Yeah, because it deteriorates everything it touches. The thing is that it's going to have a wide variety of potential minions mm-hmm. with all the things that's infected. This ends up being not just the individual creature itself, but all of its minions as a world destroying threat, because it can bring this huge variety of abilities to bear because now we have to make a template that goes on any living creature. Right. No, I like that. And again, as you talked about with the volatile hybrids, this is how it can go to other planes and other regions as well, because it can just easily hit infest and spread. Right. And because it's infested something from that place, it has an edge up on adapting to it when it gets there. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that is a good note to end on. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Agreed. Because we, we've been going for a while. So just a little bit long on this one. Just a little bit. But that's okay. I planned on this going to be a, a long, <laughs> long-winded sort of thing. So, Jack, Mike, Rob, and John, thank you all so very yes, much for joining you. us. Thank you, and congratulations. Thank, thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just want to thank you guys both for having us all on and congratulate you again on this milestone and sharing it with us. Uh, it's been great fun. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. And, I, uh, I definitely, definitely have to echo Rob. Sorry. We, we're going to go around and each say cool <laughs> things about you. And you're going to have to put up. I had fun this time. We, we said some cool things. Hopefully some folks learned stuff. I know I did. Um, you know, we're going to be aggressively kind towards you and you're just going to sit there. And are. <laughs> <laughs> deal with it. You have no choice. 100 episodes is amazing. You're able to keep going. The sky's the limit, except it's not. If you think the sky's the limit, you don't have a big enough imagination. You keep going after that. That's when you think the sky is the limit. That's just the stuff that we stand on, right? Yeah. That just means you need a rocket ship. Exactly. Or a spell jammer. Uh, Hey, bring it back. uh, Whatever your paradigm uh, needs. Yeah. Yeah. But seriously, uh, Ian, James, thank you both so much for having me on as well. This was a blast getting to chat with <laughs> both of you and uh, your other uh, other guests as well. Um, yeah, thank you. And uh, yeah, huge congratulations. 100 episodes seriously. is amazing. Yeah. So congrats and well done. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, then thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, thank you to the few people who came and joined us in chat. Christian, I know we had a couple other viewers that didn't comment in chat and that's okay we still appreciate you coming if you have any comment suggestions or ideas for future episodes please send us an email under common taste at gmail.com or send us a direct message through our twitter account at uct homebrew you can also find us on instagram facebook tiktok twitch and youtube search under common taste we're on patreon patreon.com slash under common taste we're going to be revamping that during our month off in September and coming back, hopefully with some more regular content starting in October. And finally, we are on Discord. We're going to have a link to the Discord in the show notes when this is released as a podcast. And we would love for you guys to come over and chat with us. Um, hopefully, my latency will let me go through this, but you can find our podcast wherever you find your podcast. We're on Apple. Oh, no. Nope. So close. <laughs> so close. 
Basically what it is, we're on all of the podcatchers. Listen to us wherever you want. Leave a rating and review if you can. Subscribe if you can. It lets us know what you want to hear more of. So stay safe, everyone. And we will see you on, uh, I think, October 1st. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, Because we're October 5th. October 5th is going to be our next episode episode. But we will have some actual plays in between with the Trask task of Maureen Trask to tide you over until we come back. Well, if, if the normal Trask isn't good enough, you know where to find mine. Yes, absolutely. All right. Good night, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Good night, everyone. Hey, thank you again. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Undercommon Taste. You can find links to all of our social media accounts, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, as well as our Patreon and Discord channel in the show notes. Our theme song is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. You can find more of her work at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmarycrowell. Our logo was illustrated by David Sutherland. You can find him on Instagram at willex underscore 73 or on DeviantArt at deviantart.com slash David Sutherland. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe. We'll see you again next week.